Do any of you feel a little nervous when you see the words behind me on the screen, test time? For some people, taking tests is something that comes naturally, something that they're very good at. And I envy those people. For me, when I think about tests, I get pretty nervous or pretty anxious because thinking back about tests in my life, there were some highlights, but there are more lowlights that stand out than anything else. And as I was thinking about the topic of testing, and we're going to hear about Jesus and during a test in just a moment, I was thinking about some tests that I took or uh, went through in my past. And one low light in particular that really stands out to me is I was going to a class when I was in college. It was called Classical Athens. Sounds riveting, right? It was a whole class about the city of Athens and like a 100-year period, 4th century BC. So exciting. And so I took this class. I, I had taken Greek and Hebrew to understand the original language of Scripture, and I just needed a few more classes to major in classical studies, so my advisor recommended it. I kind of like coupons. I like getting deals. So I thought, it's like buy one, get one on a major. So I'll take these extra classes and get it. And now I really have nothing to show for that major except... Uh, maybe some Jeopardy categories come a little more easily to me. But I endured these classes, and you know they were what they were. So one morning, I walked into the classroom, and I had fear just grip me because I thought I was in the wrong classroom. I thought, I've been coming to this class for weeks and weeks and weeks, and I just walked into the wrong one. How embarrassing. And I knew it was the wrong one because someone was handing out blue books for a midterm exam, and I knew for sure that wasn't me, so I walked back into the hallway to kind of recalibrate, and I looked at the room number, and I looked at the name of the class, and sure enough, that was the room number I'd been going to all year. Sure enough, that was my class. So then a different type of fear hit me when I thought, shoot, I might actually have a midterm, and there's only two grades in the class, so I could be in big trouble. So I walked in, laughing, and kind of slapped the professor on the back and said, you got me good, man. This, this midterm's on Thursday. And he just said, nice try. And handed me the book. And man, I stumbled through that one. It was, it was really rough. And so not only was that a terrible test time for me, I had tricked one of my roommates into taking the class with me because I wanted a friend in it. And he and I had planned to get dinner and compile a study guide that night, that Tuesday night for the test we thought that was on Thursday. Uh, and it was really on Tuesday. So not only was I in trouble, um, I just felt terrible uh, for doing that to him. And I actually texted him this week, and he forgave me and, and, and laughed at it as well. But to prepare for tests, we, we would do this. I, I lived in a house with a bunch of guys. If we had the same class, we would make a study guide together. So we would synthesize our notes into a really compact document so that we could just keep it in our pocket if we were watching TV, if we were on the bus, if we were uh, having lunch, we could look at our study guide. And then when the time of testing came, we knew what to do uh, if we knew when the test was going to come. So I, I don't know if you guys use this uh, when you've had tests before, whether they're academically or whether it's tests in life, but I was usually pretty equipped for the tests that came my way when I employed this strategy. 
Now, in our passage this morning, we see Jesus endure a test of his own, a few tests. Jesus is in the wilderness. This is right after his baptism. And he is tempted by the devil to act in ways that are contrary to what God the Father wants. We can relate to this, right? We are all human. We are all imperfect. And we know what it's like to be mentally or spiritually tricked and deceived into thinking or doing things that we know we really don't want to be thinking or doing. So working from our passage this morning, you can open your Bibles if you have them to Matthew 4, uh, and I encourage you to use your message notes on the back of your insert uh, to build together our own study guide so that we can be prepared for when we have similar tests uh, in our life like we see Jesus have in his. So look with me here at Matthew 4. We'll be doing verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. If you have your Bible open, I encourage you to keep it open. And if you peek just a little bit before Matthew 4 in Matthew 3, You'll see that in Matthew 3, John the Baptist prepares the way and that just verses before this temptation, Jesus is baptized. And it's an amazing scene, Jesus' baptism is. We see the heavens open up, the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove, and God speaks from heaven. All of this, just a verse before Jesus is tempted by the devil. This high and holy moment is followed immediately by a period of testing and a period of temptation. We can often fall into the temptation ourselves to let our guard down when it feels like everything is going well and smoothly. And we see from this story and the progression of the events that we need to be prepared for trials and temptations at all times. We see Jesus face this test in Matthew 4, and he passes the test just fine. He earns an A, obviously. But we need a plan if we want a similar result that Jesus has in this passage. And I truly believe in us. I have a lot of faith in people, a lot more faith than I think the average person does. And I think that we have the ability to prepare for what's ahead. 
we, we tend to do a really good job at preparing for a worst-case scenario. I've been a little, little down this winter that we haven't had any snow, um, but also I haven't had to use the ice scraper or anything, so I shouldn't complain too much. But I love in winter going to the grocery store when there's a forecast of half an inch or more. And it makes me so happy. I don't say it judgmentally because I'm that guy too. But it makes me happy to just see everybody has come to get their bread and their milk. They must be having toast and milk for, for days and days if the grocery store shelves are any indication. And as much as I like seeing this, I also love seeing the righteous uh, Northeasterners and people from the Midwest and people from the Rockies who just scoff at those who prepare in this way. But people stock up because they have a plan. They know something might happen. I need to prepare accordingly. And I've been thinking about this a little more over the past week. Uh, Perhaps you saw some headlines related to it. Uh, But I live with a Diet Coke addict. Um, Sarah loves Diet Coke. And we have been burning through it faster than average in this season of life where we're sleeping a little less. And last week there were some headlines that the Diet Coke supply uh, will be affected by the coronavirus outbreak because some of the artificial sweeteners are sourced in China. So um, be prepared for a, it's only 2%, but be prepared for a slight dip in the Diet Coke supply. So being someone who likes to prepare for what's ahead, I went to the store and bought a bunch more Diet Coke. Uh, At the Safeway at the Bradley Shopping Center, uh, I think I'm a step ahead because they were out of hand sanitizer, but they had Diet Coke. So I had this plan that I needed to act on, and, and I made it happen. So that stuff doesn't go bad either, right? It can just stay in the basement. So these are silly examples, but they paint a picture of what I feel like is inside of us, a desire to foresee what might happen and a desire to prepare ourselves to respond accordingly for events in our life that might happen. So a question we need to ask ourselves this morning in light of the passage we've seen is are we as intentional about making plans to resist temptation as we are about other aspects in our life? Are we intentional? Are we aware that this is something, if we're followers of Jesus, that will be on the horizon, that will come face-to-face with us, are we diligently preparing for them? The reality is, it's going to happen. It might happen frequently. uh, It might happen once in a while in a big way. But the reality is, is that Satan does not like God's agenda advanced in the world and will work to try to stop it. Followers of Jesus might have experienced this when a church is thriving, when a family is thriving, when things seem to be going well, often it's from a high and holy moment like that, that life throws you a curveball. So followers of Jesus have a choice when it comes to seeing temptations and seeing trials on the horizon. We can hope for the best and wing it, or we can be prepared and proceed with the plan. Now, Being prepared to proceed with the plan is something that requires daily work. It needs to be on our minds daily. 
You know, people hear about a snowstorm once in a blue moon, and they respond quickly and spring into action. But the reality is we're not going to receive a forecast of when the enemy wants to thwart something that we have going in our lives. Our preparation can't be hit or miss, and it can't be a simple guess and hope for the best. It needs to be all-encompassing, and it needs to be on our minds daily. We are, as much as we don't like to think about it and dwell about it, we are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. And as a result of this, we have thoughts that enter our minds that we're not proud of. And sometimes we even put those thoughts or put those temptations into action. And that is not God at work in our lives. It's the same force of evil and destruction that we see in our passage in Matthew 4 this morning. So our first study note, if you're taking notes on the back of messages, you'll see four blanks there. It's simple. We need to be praying about this. So am I praying about resisting temptations? Something I love hearing people share with me uh, is it sounds so simple, but they say, you know, I'd been praying about this thing for a long time, and it happened. People seem to like to confess to me that prayer works or that prayer was answered. And I think, that's funny how that happens. It's, It's almost like God's listening. We need to pray for daily deliverance. And if you're having trouble articulating your prayers, well, Jesus knew that we might need some guidance, and he taught his disciples and he taught us as his followers now and readers of Scripture the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines in it is simply, deliver us from evil. I think it's a wonderful and reassuring thing that God doesn't require the most eloquent and the most poetic prayers from us. If you're looking to formulate a plan to respond when you feel tested or when temptations come your way, a simple place to start is to pray each day that God would keep you focused. Pray that God would not lead you anywhere close where you might be tempted. The line in the Lord's Prayer is simple, succinct, and can be applied to all of us if we want to avoid roadblocks in our future to simply pray, deliver us from evil, God, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now with this topic of temptation, uh, I know some people are more hearers, some people are more visuals. And a visual, visual learners um, love to see pictures. One that pops in people's mind is the classic cartoon scenario where you have an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other. We see Homer displaying it there. Um, that's a Homer I know more about than the one from my classical studies classes. Uh, but he had a lot to teach us and a lot of wisdom. And, and this is a, a picture of what people sometimes feel like is happening when they feel tempted. They feel a voice of temptation and then a voice of reason going back and forth and back and forth. And temptation has clearly surfaced when you get to a place where you can feel this tug of war on your mind and on your heart. And I really think we need to hear this. This situation that we feel in our lives and that we see depicted in this piece of art here, that is not 
sin. We don't need to feel guilty about being in a place where we feel temptations or where we feel pulled in certain directions. In our passage that we read together, Jesus was tempted, right? But that doesn't make him a sinner. We know that Jesus was sinless. It's not the situation of the tug of war that we hear, but it's how we respond that speaks to our faithfulness and that speaks to our character in the eyes of God. There are a handful of other places in Scripture that elaborate on this. Uh, One is in the book of James, the first chapter. It elaborates on this when it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person, when they are tempted, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. At the end of Matthew 3, Jesus had heard the most resounding of affirmation on his call when God the Father says, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son that I love. I am pleased with him and pleased with what he's going to do. The actions of Jesus here in the next chapter from Matthew 3 to Matthew 4 back up that statement and make God the Father, I think more than proud, but fired up and pleased with what Jesus has done to the point where I think it makes God smile. It's a a simple way to assess a situation, uh, but I think it's a measuring stick that we can all learn from. So our second study note this morning is, are my decisions making God smile? In the face of temptation, this can be a really helpful uh, illustration to think about. Will what I do, will which voice I listen to, will my next steps be ones that make God smile? can also be a simple way to have a self-assessment in your prayers each day. Uh, Sometimes it's possible to pray and just not think of anything you need to repent for uh, and think, you know, everything was good, check this prayer box, God, and we'll carry on the next day. Uh, But a a good test is to think, where did I make God smile? And in the event that there were situations, thank God for what around you helped lift you up. And on the other hand, when you didn't make God smile, that's where you know you need to pray for more strength in the days ahead. So as we prepare ourselves for facing temptation through prayer and through thinking about how we need to act in a way that's pleasing to God, we're also going to have to do something when push comes to shove in this tug of war. And Jesus shows a very effective way to respond here in Matthew 4. Satan tempts Jesus three times with three propositions, and all three times, what does Jesus do? The same thing. He responds by quoting scripture. Now, this isn't a transactional hocus-pocus of saying something and trusting that a spell you cast is going to work. There is significant meaning behind what Jesus is doing, behind quoting scripture in the face of the enemy here. 
Jesus is identifying that the devil's tricks and deceptions are not in line with God's intentions and God's desires. It's a fascinating back and forth, and we got to take note of the fact that the devil is smart enough to use scripture and to try to manipulate it for his own purposes in this exchange. Now, unless you're living under a rock, you probably know that right now we're in debate season, and it feels like there's one every single week as the primaries ramp up, and uh, I don't sit through all of them, but I do watch clips, and I mostly see candidates going back and forth with attacks, and there seems to be little closure ever over the exchanges. Uh, I think that's part of why I don't have the patience to watch uh, one in its entirety, because I feel like it's over and nothing has changed, and I can't point to any uh, tangible difference coming from it. Here in Matthew 4, we have a debate on a more head-to-head direct scale, and we have Satan, this dirty demon of debate who comes out swinging, and he is shut down not once, not twice, but three times, and he's shut down so decisively that he just leaves. The last verse in the passage, Matthew 4:11, Satan just gets out of the way. Now, wouldn't debates go by much more quickly if someone was forced to leave the stage, if they'd just been served? I think I would, I would actually watch if that was how it progressed. But in our passage this morning, a result of the debate is Satan realizing that his power just can't hold a candle to the power of God, of the Spirit with Jesus, God the Son, working to combat him. So the devil leaves Jesus, and while there's a a ton contributing to this chain of events, we can't ignore the fact that it does have a lot to do with the way that Jesus utilizes Scripture. By quoting Scripture, Jesus is showing that his ways and his response is in accordance with God's desire and intention for him to act there. So we can take note here in our third test time study note is, am I equipped with Scripture? Some of you might have uh, just a laundry list of favorite passages in your mind that you can pop into your head when you need them. Um, Others might just have a few or you're looking for one. I'd love to help you find something that could be helpful. Uh, For me, one that I personally love is John 3.30, which uh, is John the Baptist talking about and defending Jesus. And he says, he must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. And this has helped ground me through temptations and trials and life in general. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Now, if we believe this to be true in our practical plans to combat temptations and to thrive in trials, we need to be equipped with scripture that can ground us in our relationship with God and pull us away from temptation and towards faithfulness. So this can be a a homework assignment for the week. Think when temptation comes your way, whether it's uh, simple discouragement or a really aggressive attack, uh, what encouragement from Scripture can you bring to mind to utilize? You know, we say that we want to live lives like Jesus lived, and this is very directly how he responds 
in Matthew 4. So as we take notes, that's a tactic we can absolutely employ ourselves. Now the fourth and final test time study note we have is, do I trust the Holy Spirit? This is crucial because if we trust the Holy Spirit, we know that any battle we step into is really already won. It is finished as a result of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When we're tempted, it's possible to suppress the voice of God in our hearts, but if we recognize God's spirit, we can lean on God to get us through temptation and to get us through any situation that we might be struggling through. With the Holy Spirit, we simply have the strength of God, and there is nothing that can derail us if we're aware of that. Our passage ends like I referenced earlier in Matthew 4, 11, the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. If we let God fight our battles, if we turn to Jesus to deliver us from evil, to save us in moments of temptation, God will not only respond, but will equip us and attend to us. His angels attended to Jesus. Victorious Jesus, the angels came and affirmed and attended to. And God, when we are in that tug of war, wants to respond to us in the same way. Now, these steps that we've shared here, this isn't a a cure-all, four-step solution. I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we said this is every single thing that we need. But these are tools that we can put in our toolbox to be prepared for when we are tempted or when we find ourselves in a season of testing. We have the Spirit of God in us. We have Scripture at the ready that we can utilize. God hears our prayers every day, and we have the ability, though we are sinners and imperfect, to make God smile and to make God proud. I think it's amazing to see Jesus go through things that we go through as people. And in this passage, we see that Jesus is smart, and we see that Jesus is very strong. He passes the test, and he passes it with a special kind of strength. Uh, I see it as strength that is grounded in humility. And I think that is the strongest possible strength that anyone, a leader, or us can demonstrate. Satan offered Jesus everything. He said, bow down and worship me. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And Jesus could have taken it. Jesus is going to reign supreme over all the kingdoms of the world as every tribe and every nation confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. But Jesus was presented with a shortcut here in Matthew 4. Imagine how short the gospel of Matthew might have become had he chose it. But Jesus chose the cross. Sure, it's possible to listen to that voice of evil, Sure, it's possible to seize power with options that are presented by Satan, but that is not truly power. The cross that we come here and worship, remembering Jesus, is the ultimate sign of power. It's on the cross where Jesus takes on the sins of the world, defeats Satan, and shares that victory with all of us. Jesus is not a ruler that simply reigns over but he is a servant leader who comes alongside his people and God the Son 
and who empowers them to join him on mission. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took the path that gave us everything at his expense. He's a God who loves us so much that he would go through this suffering for our sake to bring us along the journey with him.